0: Welcome to part five of the story. Have you read it? Yep. All right, that's good. You've read the story. As you can see, uh, we we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. And uh, if the slide comes up, we'll see it. <laughs> Here we go. Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments were given to Moses and to the Israelites. I don't know what you think about having commandments like that, having ten of them instead of five or twenty or thirty. But these ten commandments have been the foundation for man's laws for centuries, for most countries around the world, really. They still form the backbone of our laws today, uh, and they are of great benefit. Maybe you're not into laws. Maybe you're not into rules. Maybe you just don't really like having a lot of rules on you. You don't like having somebody else tell you what to do. Maybe you kind of chafe. Maybe you uh, think, you know, I really don't like having someone else tell me what to do. Maybe you're like little Jenny that I heard about. You know, she and her mom had a rough day. Jenny was balking at everything that mom told her to do. She refused to obey, refused to get along with her and uh, do whatever mom told her to do. Finally, her mom says, Jenny, I've had enough go sit down, you're in timeout. And so she said it was such force, I guess Jenny decided I guess I better, better obey. So she walked over there, she sat down in her little timeout chair, and uh, after about 20 seconds she said, Mommy, I just want you to know, I'm sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm still standing up. <laughs> she said, my attitude I still don't want to obey what you have. And sometimes we treat God that way. We know that feeling. We know that attitude. Uh, We don't want to follow the rules because we don't like people telling us what to do. Today's part of the story is about God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into the wilderness where he wanted to meet with them. A month after they left Egypt, God brought them to Mount Sinai, which was... uh, pretty good sized mountain, and he invited them to come up to the mountain, but not to get onto the mountain, to stay down at the bottom, and he invited Moses and just a few of the leaders up. This was an awesome scene. A very awesome scene. Uh, There was thunder and lightning and the fire on the mountain, and, and the earth was shaking. Just a lot of things were going on there, and it was terrifying, really, for them to be there, but it was showing the presence of God about 1445 B.C. is when this is happening. The main thing I want you to get tonight is this. God wants to dwell with us. God wants to be with us. He wants to be here on earth with us. He wants to be part of our lives. He wants our lives to be part of his story. And so he's inviting us into his story, which is this huge picture, and we're just a little piece, but God says, I want you to be part of it. You are an important part of this story. This is the big idea, the big picture. And this is what God's been striving to do since the beginning. When Adam and Eve were created, they were put in this perfect garden. And God went down and he walked with them. And he met with them face to face and he talked with them. And he, he would walk with them through the cool of the evening, Genesis says. And then man sinned and he was thrown out of the garden and he lost that fellowship with God. And so now there's this big distance between us and God. God wants to restore in coming to the Israelites, this relationship, this friendship, this, this intimacy with man on earth. And it had taken a long time to get back to this point, hundreds and hundreds of years. And now he had this point man named Moses. And so he got Moses to go into Egypt to, to get Pharaoh to release the people. And over a period of uh, uh, several months with the ten plagues, finally Pharaoh let them go. And they've crossed the Red Sea. And they're out into the wilderness now. Interestingly enough, this is called the wilderness of sin. And the mountain is called Sinai. And he invites them up to this mountain. Exodus 19 tells us what an awesome rendezvous it is. And as a fearful sight. And while the rest of the Israelites waited down at the base of the mountain, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. This is what it says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 6 days you shall labor and do all your la- your work, but the 7th day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These ten laws, as I said, serve as the basis of so many others. What we see here is God meeting the people at this mountain, and God is the initiator. God is the instigator. He is the one that is pursuing man. Man could not pursue God. Man could not reach out to God, but God reached down to man, and God wanted to dwell with man, but he required three things. Three things had to be understood. Three things had to happen. Three things had to be put in place. First of these was that God had these laws. God had these rules. We might call them house rules to be followed. How many of you have house rules? John, you have any house rules? Have any rules at your house? (laughs) Dave, did you have any rules when you grew up? Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Mike? Any rules at your house? Certain time you had to be home? Certain, uh, you got to let people know where you are? That's not what your mom says. (laughs) We all have rules, maybe a lot of them, maybe a few, but the reason we have rules is so we can get along, so that we can function together. If we don't have them, it's chaos, and everybody's confused. So rules are very, very important. Rules set the standards for how the family's going to work. And the Ten Commandments were given so that people could live rightly. Live with God, live with other people. The first four of these commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The other six have to do with our relationship with other people. If you're someone who instinctively hates rules, you need to understand something. That when God makes rules, it's not to hurt us. It's not to punish us. It is not to make our lives miserable. He's not some kind of a cosmic killjoy that loves killing our joy. (laughs) He's, He's somebody that wants the best for us. And when he makes rules like these, they are so we avoid a lot of other problems that we might have in life. His intent is to give us peaceful, enjoyable, productive lives. And this is why he sets the house rules or the ground rules like this. Think about an inventor. Somebody invents something. Say the guy that invented, well, I don't know, telephone. Um, Maybe the cell phone, first cell phone. The guy that invented a typewriter or you know, whatever you want to say. And when they invent these things, they come up with a new way to do something, an easier way to do things. But they want to share that with everyone else. So they start making them available to other people. But in order for the other people to use them, they have to give an owner's manual. They have to tell them how to use it. What do you do to this? What things do you move? What buttons do you push? Uh, what do you do to make this thing work? And sometimes they have to put other things with it so that if something goes wrong, they can troubleshoot it and figure out why it's not working anymore. So the creator has to give you some kind of a manual to help you understand and use what they have created. And God created us. And God created laws. And God created a book as an owner's manual. (laughs) So we know how life works. So we know what this is about. Or think about going on a trip going to go on a long trip, you're going to go cross country, wouldn't it be nice to know where you're going first? Wouldn't it be nice to know what roads to take? Wouldn't it be nice to have a map, maybe to have an expert tell you, you know, if you do this, you can get there in this amount of time, you can do it as cheaply as possible, you can stay in these places, you can see these sites along the way, and so you kind of have this whole thing laid out for you, rather than just jumping in your car and hoping you might get somewhere that you have in mind to go. This is the same kind of thing. God gives us a map. God gives us a way to understand the destination and how to get to that destination so that we can arrive there safely. So that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're like house rules. They're like the owner's manual. They're like traffic signs, laws that make the journey possible. So that's the first thing. The second thing, says God says, for me to come down and dwell with you is that you need to understand I'm in charge. I'm the head of the house. I'm the, I'm the God that you are to serve and to love and obey. And so God says, if you try and get at other gods, it's going to be problems for you. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no graven images. You shouldn't make your own gods. You shouldn't try to decide what God should be. I already am God, and you are not. It's about God. It's not about us. Sometimes we have trouble with authority. We like rules mostly when they apply to other people, not to us. Take, for example, if you drive a car and uh, you're a parent, like I'm a parent or a grandparent, you hate it when somebody's speeding down your street and your kids are out in the front yard. and You think, man, they're going to run into one of my kids. Out there playing on the sidewalk, this guy's driving crazy. I hope that the police catch him speeding. But when I'm the one out driving... I get a little bit past the speed limit, and I hope the police are very lenient. I hope that they don't catch me. I hope they never notice that I'm going 5 or 10 miles an hour over this speed limit because I want to get there in a hurry. I'm late, and I need to get there on time. We want our rules to apply to everyone else but not to us. Or we want to say, just make them apply for the really bad people, the criminals, the people that are, You know, raping or killing or stealing or something. Not the people that just lie a little, or not just the people that gossip, or not the people that slander someone else. God is a jealous God. God wants our devotion, He wants our allegiance, He wants our obedience. And He says, I have to be first. And He has every right to say that because He is God after all. This whole tabernacle thing, he has Moses build this tabernacle, which is a tent, a meeting, place where God could be uh, worshipped and where sacrifices could be made to him. And there was this whole elaborate system set up and this whole elaborate design for the tabernacle. The whole point of that is so that God can come and dwell with people, but people would revere him, that people would worship him. Because you don't just treat God casually. You don't just treat God like your friend that you can take or leave or you know, be sarcastic and you can be disrespectful to them. God is to be honored. God is to be revered. He is to be feared. Deuteronomy thirteen three and 4 says, The Lord your God is testing you. He's going to find out whether you love him with all your heart, with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Keep his commands. Obey him. Serve him. Hold fast to him. So God is head of the house. It's his rules that we're following. The third thing that had to be in place before God could dwell with man was this man's sin has to somehow be taken care of, has to be removed, has to be uh, atoned for. Because holy God and sinful man can't get together. God is so holy, God is so perfect that sinful man can't even be where God is. Or God can't be where sinful man is. They just don't get along. They can't can't coexist. So God put in place through Moses a whole system of sacrifices to deal with every kind of sin that man could fall into. Generation after generation of priests kept offering up these sacrifices. And this happened in the tabernacle, then happened in the temple later on. Hundreds and hundreds of years, these sacrifices. So what happened was, when somebody sinned, and when somebody knew that they had sinned against God, in order to be able to approach God, they had to bring out this spotless, sinless lamb, this spotless sinless uh, goat, or maybe a ram, like different animals they could pick, and they would find the most perfect animal, something of value to them, and they would kill that animal and they would shed its blood. They would. They would sprinkle its blood on the altar in God's uh, tabernacle. And that blood was to take care of their own sins so they didn't have to shed their own blood, so they didn't have to die. The animal died in their place. It was a substitute. Now, we animal lovers don't like to think about taking this innocent lamb and killing it. It sounds awful. It, It is awful. It's unfair. But God was showing to the Israelites how horrible sin is. How horrifying sin is. And he was showing them that I don't want you to have to pay for your own sins. I'm going to get a sacrifice for you, a substitute, so that you can be redeemed. The thing is that even after hundreds of these and many years, man's sin really wasn't removed from him. It was just kind of set aside. It was just kind of covered up. It was kind of rolled back so that he could continue to worship God But there was someday, one day later, a complete sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, a different lamb of God, and he was sacrificed for all of us. He was sinless. The law of Moses that God gave, some people think, well, the Jews thought that if they obeyed the law, they would prove their goodness to God. No, that's not his purpose. His purpose was to show that you couldn't be perfect, that you couldn't be sinless, that in fact you were going to break the law. The law was given in order to show us that we were imperfect, that we were sinful people, and that we needed someone to redeem us, somebody to save us. I don't care how good you are, you're not good enough to go to heaven. Even if you're better than anybody that lives on your block, even if you're better than everybody that lives in your town, even if you're better than everybody else that's in your country or nation, you're not good enough to go to heaven. Because you have sinned, and I've sinned. And even one sin would be enough to keep you out of heaven, keep you away from God. But God made a way for us to be saved. He made a way for us to be forgiven. For hundreds of years, the Jews met God at the tabernacle in the temple. God was giving them a foreshadow of his ultimate plan, the end of this big story that we're talking about. And the end of that story is in one person named Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all this. He's the one that they were foreshadowing, that they were telling us, here's a little glimpse of what God's doing here. This is going to tell you what to watch for. God made these house rules for us to follow. God said that I have to be the absolute head of the household. I have to be God, no other gods. And God said, you're going to have to get your sin taken care of. And in Jesus, he answered all of this. Jesus came not with 10 commandments but really with just one. He said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Make it really simple. The the greatest commandment is this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you will do this, that's the best way you could live. And then Jesus said, you know, I'm the Lord. I am God. I am the son of God and I am Lord of all the earth. And Jesus is a perfect fulfillment of that. There's nobody that can... overcome Jesus. In fact, the Bible says one day everybody is going to take a knee before Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every person will confess that Jesus is God and he's the Savior. And then Jesus came as that way to take care of man's sin. He came as the Lamb of God. He came as the only Savior of the world and he gave his perfect life so that we could go free so that our sins would be taken care of. Such an amazing love. That's the end of the story, but it could be the beginning of your story. Because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust Him to save us, our sins can be washed away. As bad as we might get, Jesus is still able to forgive us, able to save us. We praise him for that. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you teach us, for the story that we find in the word. We pray that we would understand more and more of that. We would appreciate what you have done, that through hundreds of years you paved the way so that when Jesus came, we would know why he came. We would know what he was up to. And we would receive him. We would believe in him we would accept him as our Lord and Savior. And I pray for all of us tonight that we may know that, that we may live in honor and reverence for you, that we would follow your ways to live, for in that is life, the best way we could possibly live. Bless our worship tonight as we continue. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.